Why would longtime comedian Mike Larson, longtime writer Mike Larson, leave the bright lights and fame of Los Angeles, California to move to Plain City, Ohio uh, to be on this podcast, obviously? No, but we'll find out tonight on Whiskey Business. Celebrations. We have them for a lot of things, right? Obviously, birthdays. Though I gotta be honest with you, I don't, uh, I never really liked birthday parties growing up as a kid. Um, I really didn't start to appreciate birthdays or birthday parties till I got older in life. And, and it was usually my friends that were throwing the parties. And sometimes I think those celebrations, when your friends throw you a party, I think they're really throwing the party for themselves. <laughs> you just happen to be the excuse that they're throwing it for, but it doesn't matter. Everybody has a great time. Um, I've had uh, amazing birthdays for my, my 40th. Absolutely amazing. Couldn't be top birthday for my, my 50th. Um, I quietly brought in my 60th. You know, at least I, I tried to, but once again, friends had different ideas as to how maybe that night should go. My point is that celebrations are, are, are full of of just, you know, something, it, usually when you celebrate, it's something special, am I right? You know, there's an, there's an occasion, there's, it's, it's momentous, it's, it's significant. And tonight, on Whiskey Business, we celebrate. We celebrate on Whiskey Business. Is it, is it a special number podcast? No, yeah. no, I've lost track of how many podcasts yeah. we've done. But, but tonight on Whiskey Business... We celebrate, and you, our guest, Mike Larson, mm -hmm. unsuspecting comedian, writer, Mike yeah. Larson, who just graciously agreed to drive in from Plain City, Ohio, and be on this podcast with me. We've met years ago, and we have a lot of things to talk about this evening, but you, my friend, you have the honor of being here tonight on Whiskey Business. Tiffany, Tiffany. A Tiffany, a Tiffany. <laughs> Do you have a Dr drum roll? No, no, I don't nothing, have nothing. nothing. I'll nothing. add it in post. I'll add it in post. You'll add it in post. He'll add it in post. <laughs> Our 100th bottle yeah. on Whiskey oh. Business, ladies and gentlemen. And a special bottle indeed. Yes, yes. it is the 10 year old wow. Rip Van Winkle. Wow. Yes, my that. friend. Yes. You, how lucky of a man are you that you come on this podcast, now that we have a bottle of Calumet or <laughs> right. Knob Creek or uh, D D Amador nah. or Jack Daniels Please. or something. Pasha. No. Ah, <laughs> no. You come when we have the wow, old Rip the Van Winkle. Wow. Yes. The 10-year old Rip Van Winkle. When I bought this bottle a couple of years ago, um, I think I paid 100 bucks for it. When I used to buy it prior to the whiskey boom... I think I paid like forty-five dollars wow. for it. Wow! I could sell this right now on the secondary market for a minimum. It's illegal, by the way. So I you know. won't. I would never, which you I would never do because I hate do. the secondary right. market. You people know that. I could sell this on the secondary market for at least six hundred bucks. Really? Mm. Six hundred bucks. Wow! Yeah, easily. There's other bottles in that collection that I could sell for. I have a anniversary bottle of Elmer T. Lee that I could probably sell for way more than I paid for it, which I won't do because good whiskeys are meant to be shared 
with good friends and good people. So congratulations, Mike Larson. I am honored. You, my friend, get to help us bring in our 100th bottle, not episode, because as you know, we've done a lot of two-parters and little whiskey shots here on Whiskey Business. So it's not our 100th podcast, but, you know, it is our 100th bottle. He's opening it now. I'm opening it now, and we're going to, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and tell you about the... uh, the old Rip Van Winkle and the Pappy Van Winkle. Anybody that's in the bourbon knows knows that the that it's that it's good stuff. Some people think that the the ten year is a little harsh, not as smooth as the. All right. I will pour our guest first, and we are going to drink this one neat, fellas. All right. All right. It only seems appropriate that we drink it neat. Look at that. And there normally would be uh, four of these very special glasses to help you appreciate uh, the taste and nose of the said whiskey, but uh, one of them, one of them cracked. Oh, all right, I broke one. Okay, I broke <laughs> one, so I have to just drink it out of a regular glass, which might mean for a more significant pour. I'm not sure. <laughs> the, it's hefty. But, the big gulp. So before we start talking to our very special guest tonight, a toast, a salute, boys. Salute. I want to say thank you to Greg Hansberry and John Whitney for making this little podcast come true each mm. and every week. And thank you, Mr. Larson, yes. for being with I'm us. Happy to be here. So here, to Whiskey Business salute. and the 100th yeah. bottle. Cheers. Don't shoot it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. I don't find it harsh. It's a little hot. It's a little hot. But it's good. And you know what's 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 funny? If we were doing this say even five years ago, um we'd probably be going, Oh my god. Oh, that's the best whiskey I've ever had. And it's good whiskey. I'm, mm. I would never besmirch the Van Winkle name, but would you agree you're a bourbon guy, Mike, right? I am. There are so many good whiskeys and so many great bourbons out there now that, that while this, this is more now the mystique yeah. than it is mm-hmm. the mainstay. Right. Right? As far as the, uh, the, the, the standard. It's just more about the mystique and, and everything that's, that's tied behind it. I mean, even the Van Winkles will tell you that they hate the fact that, the, that this product gets prostituted on the secondary market so badly you know that's that's why um that's why they they uh you know ohio just recently got a, a larger influx of weller which is you know the pappy juice right oh and, is it? all right yeah and uh and it sells at a reasonable it's a reasonable similar. price very similar to the antique <clears throat> you like good. this this you like this with the antique so it's really sweet right up front like right when it touches your lips lips are sweet and then it's hot mm-hmm. going down. I haven't had my second second sip. Not in a bad way. No, uh-uh. no, it's good. <laughs> Aged over ten summers, mm-hmm. ten summers old. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, like I said, whenever I get a chance to purchase already. a bottle like wow. this at a reasonable price, I'll do it. And have I been hanging on to it? Yeah, but not to go look. I have a bottle of ten year Van Winkle. No. I've been waiting for a special occasion. So, and you might not know the answer to this, because you can't find it in Kentucky. I mean, you can't find it anywhere. So do they only make very tiny batches of it, yeah. or they make a bunch and just, they sell it right away? 
Well, both. I mean, they make tiny batches of it and they sell just it right people, away. Just people right and, buy it up. You know, so you just got to be in the right spot, the right time. And, right when you when, look, and then when you get into the older ones, like the 12 would be the next one. I have some 12 right, as right. well. But then when you get into the 25s and, and whatnot, you know. Well, obviously, it time, takes longer to do it. By the time that's seven proof. Sometimes, it, you know, what they have left in a barrel by the time it's aged 25 years is there's not much there. Right. It's like half gone, right? By yeah. The yeah. Sleep many years in the wood, it says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Root Van Winkle. That's great. So, what a cool bottle, too. It is a cool bottle. Happy 100th, guys. Yeah. Happy 100th Cheers. bottle, everybody. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. could do this all night long. Let's pat ourselves on the back. That's like a single question. We could just keep doing this uh, for an hour. Happy 100th bottle. My other, Happy- other favorite part about us is... <laughs> <laughs> Mike Larson is our guest. Comedian, writer, Mike Larson, who... Um, we're trying to figure out when we first met. Was it during the San Francisco comedy I think it competition was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the early '90s? Probably yes. When I was living out in Los Angeles, uh-huh. and you were out in Los Angeles. When did you start? Right. When did you start doing stand up? I started doing stand up in so my first like open mic was, I think eighty two. Eighty two. Um, in San Francisco, and in fact, Dana Carvey was the MC. Mm-hmm. I was going on last, and right before I went on, Robin Williams dropped in for a guest set. Right before you went on. This is my very first time on, on stage. Great. And so I was, was going to leave, and Dana <laughs> said, no, you're not going to leave. It will never suck this bad for you. You have no idea how lucky this is for your first show to be the worst one you will ever wow. do. And he made me stay, and of course I... You know, sucked. The worst thing about it, though, is I brought this uh, girl to see me who I had the hots for, her and my best friend. And while I was on stage, I looked down and they were holding hands. I couldn't get any worse. I'm going on after Robin Williams (laughs) and my my hot girlfriend likes the other girl better. I think my friend. Yeah, so... And why didn't you just get out of stand-up right then and there? Why didn't you just walk know, out of well, that club gotta, and say, you know what, maybe this isn't for me? I got to say, Dana was, I mean, he told me, he said, you got to promise me you will do this for six months, and then you can quit. But don't, and and you're going to suck. That's okay. You, you gotta, you're going to suck. Don't worry about it. And, and it was such good advice. For com- you know, people who think you know they get a laugh at the dinner table, so they think they're going to kill at a club. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the ones that do kill the first time are usually the worst comics. Right. They I mean they're just doing <laughs> hacky stuff, right. you know. Um, but it was hard for me. But but uh, you know, I kind of decided, okay, I'll do that. I'll commit to doing it for six months and see what happens. Yeah. So, and you started in San Francisco. Started in San Francisco, but that was a never. Great, it was still just a hobby. That was where I. But that's where I grew up. But a great comedy town. Well, right? and the local. I mean, the local acts at the time. You'd go to an open mic, and it would be Robin and Dana Carvey and Ellen DeGeneres and Paula Poundstone and Bob Goldthwait. You yeah. know, it was like <laughs> and Mike Larson. It was crazy the the, the, the amount of talent there. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't then really until after college I went to Washington D.C. to to get a job on Capitol Hill and started doing uh, open mics there. And it was a smaller pond for me, you know, and that's really what it was for me. The thing that got me, uh, you know, suddenly I was one of the funnier guys instead of just one of the bums, you know? (laughs) So because it was a smaller pond, there just weren't that many comics. And most people like in a place like DC, if you're a good comic, you move to New York or LA pretty quick, right? You know, so there just wasn't, um, uh, you know, there was uh, Tommy Davison from Baltimore who was big then. Um, 
but there weren't really many local acts that were intimidating you know i want to talk about that you mentioned you moved to washington dc and capitol hill because uh in in your body of work i mean you you you've written political Uh speeches for yeah yeah i do a lot of political work i still do yeah Yeah. you still do right yeah i love it write speeches speeches for Mm -hmm. yeah and Uh, do they have humor in them sometimes i mean i was uh i uh i used to write for ted kennedy just jokes they would call me and say hey ted's going to speak to the you know garbage man's union can you give us a couple jokes and <laughs> i send them some jokes whatever <laughs> you know um but, but then i worked on staff of this woman jackie spear who's a congressman from Ca- congresswoman from california um and i was her communications director so i would do everything you know writer speeches but um you know I think people appreciate a politician who has a sense of humor. I do. You know, and they're the ones that don't, you wonder, like, what the hell, man? You know, uh, so th- that's something that I think I, that, that, that kind of a go-to for me. People will reach out to me because they know I'm good with, I can help make their boss funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or at least their version of it, whatever it is. You know, you don't want them to be a clown. But, you know, you want to show they have a sense of humor. A sense of humor and a personality. Uh, right, right, and can laugh at themselves and all those things that show you're a human being, you know. I think uh, any, time of, any type of politician is somewhat self-deprecating. Yes. Even. I think, uh, well, okay, wow, all right, he knows, he gets it. He knows how to make fun of himself a right. little bit and doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. I want to come back to politics yeah. a little bit later in the podcast and yeah. see... Um, where your head is these days yeah. in, in the in the humor world in in respects to politics, but going back to those early days, you said Robin Williams goes on before you, and how long does he do when he's like up forty on? minutes? Forty like two in the morning. Yeah, he doesn't go on. Robin, Robin Williams doesn't go on for ten minutes. No. and and get no. off and say you know you no know, he's he's just there. And he was at that time I I think Mork I think Mork, Mork and Mindy was still on. So Mork he was yeah. you know he was huge. I mean, he's always been a huge star. But yeah, he was. You, you know, yeah. Yeah, Mork and Minnie was the number one show on television, and, and he was the reason. Yeah, yeah. So he crazy. did his, yeah, right, he did his time, and then, of course, he got off, and the audience started to leave, and I remember Dana running on and saying, sit down, sit down, sit down, we have a real special treat now. This is this guy's <laughs> oh, first man. time. Oh, man. And he's going to follow Robin, and people are like, oh, man, oh, man. let's, let's watch this train wreck. Right. Let's watch this disaster. And it was, and I'm, I am so, so grateful that he made me do it, because it's... it's that's a baptism. You can survive that. That's can, a baptism by okay. fire. Right. For real, for real. Yeah. Right. So you started in 82, and I'm trying to see how our careers are parallel. I started open miking in 88 or 89. Uh, do you remember your first paid gig? Uh, well, my first weekend gig was Garvin's in D.C., opening for uh, Waylon Flowers and Madam. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. Also the uh, center square at times yeah, on yeah. Hollywood Square. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, that was like my first weekend gig. I don't. Remember, I'm sure I got like a Tuesday night for ten bucks somewhere before that. But uh, no, as far as like a whole know. weekend gig, yeah, mine yeah. was mine was at the Funny Bone. And the only reason I bring it up, I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast, but to bring it up because it also relates to you yeah. as well. Um, uh, the headliner was a guy named Kodak, Dak Rako. Uh, the feature act was Drew Carey. All right, Drew Carey yeah. was the feature act, and and just. 
super <clears throat> strong and, oh, God. And, and, so good. And, and so funny and, and me opening. Right. But I remember that was my first uh, paid gig and you actually worked on the Drew Carey show. I did, yeah, yeah. And I had worked with Drew a few times as a comic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, it just has to be said about Drew Carey that uh, there is not a nicer, more humble person in show business than Drew. Uh, Drew, even when, and I, I don't, we're not buddies now, you know, but when I worked, when he was a stand-up, and then when he had his show, um, he would just always look out for people. And, in fact, we'd go out drinking sometimes after a show, and, you know, Drew would have a few drinks in him and would insist on taking pictures with everybody in the place. And we're like, Drew, you don't have to do, to do this, you know. Uh, but he is. He's very much what, what I think people in Ohio like to think Ohio people are. This is super friendly, mm -hmm. approachable. Drew is absolutely that. Uh, and his work ethic is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember after the the week at the funny bone um drew was headlining now and, uh -huh. and i had the opportunity to feature for him i believe it was uh in atlanta maybe the comedy cafe right. or, or the funny Bone. i don't remember but i remember he was on his trek if you will his journey from cleveland to los angeles i believe he had a mercury I want to say a Mercury Tracer. Okay. And in the back of the Tracer, you know, he'd fold down the seats. He had a, a fold-up desk that he pulled out and brought into the condo. And he set up his office, if you will, wow. for that week that we were in the condo yeah. with, uh, you know, computer and everything. And he was... He way. was working it, man. He yeah. was writing. He was working. He was making yeah. contacts. He was making connections. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, I'm heading out to Los Angeles, and I'm just trying to put everything, yeah. in, you know, get everything lined up and everything. I mean, he was constantly working. You know, he had the, the dream, the goal, the plan. The he, first week I worked for him was uh, at the, the comedy stop at the Tropicana in, in Atlantic City. And we bonded over the fact that we both wrote every day. I mean, I, I early on in my career, forced myself to write a page of jokes every morning before I got to do the thing I wanted to do. So whatever I was going to do that day, I was going to go to the mall or go play golf or whatever. At first, I had to fill a page. And it didn't have to be good. I just had to fill it, you <laughs> right. know, which was just a really good exercise. Sure. And uh, when I met Drew, we were going to go get breakfast or something. And I said, all right, I got to write my page. And he was like, oh, my God, you do that too? And so we found out that we both kind of had this similar thing, uh, you know. And for me, it was because... When I first started out, there was a, some comics in D.C. who just stole everybody's material all the time. And, uh, you know, I was pissed off. And Will Durst, who's a comic from San Francisco, said, you got to write more. That's, they're gonna, if you're good, they're going to steal from you. They're going to take it from you. You just got to write faster than they can steal. Uh, don't worry about the stealing. And, and it was such good advice, you know. And so that was kind of it. It was like, like I just got to keep Still pisses keep you off, though. Of course it pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a question about Drew Carey real quick? Yeah. Like, I'm a big fan of him. Obviously, didn't as in as close to you guys. And then he gets this Price is Right gig. And, to, you know, like, that's no question a great, cushy gig. But to me, a comedian, uh, you know, someone who had his own stand-up or his own sitcom, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a sellout, but, like, you're... Sticking a mic in front of a bunch of old ladies. I don't know. And, and granted, his paycheck is fucking humongous, and he's on TV every yeah. day. But don't you think he has 
in the back of his head he wants to do uh, a Netflix special. Or you, you, did you lose I that? I, I can't. I can't speak for him, but I can say that you know he he had the successful sitcom, right? So been there, done that, and you know. Just I'm just basing this off, right, the, right, right. off the guy I met in the comedy sure, condo sure, yeah. who has a plan in his mind to take care of himself and his family. I, I would think right. that, you know. And I don't mean to be disparaging. To, to, I just to, think to, he would to, get to, bored to with that. have this number one game show and, and know, host it, you know. I also say that Drew is such a huge student of entertainment. And right. I know for him, because one of... We have a mutual friend, a, a, a great comic out of Cleveland named Terry Mulroy. I don't know if you remember. I remember Terry. Terry. Yeah. But Terry is still close with Drew. They grew up together. And uh, I remember when he got prices Right, Terry was saying that Drew was so proud that he was following Bob Barker. Right. Okay. It was almost like following Carson. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think to him that was like, man, I'm I'm television royalty. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I think that was and part of it. I don't disagree it. with that. Yeah. I don't know. I just figured, yeah. you know, again, I... You would, you would, I don't know. All right, well, let me ask, let me ask you this. Um, me as the host of this podcast, right. and you as producer mm-hmm. of this podcast, right. yeah. and Whitney as uh, the, the, the man behind mm-hmm. our YouTube yeah. videos, right. and even Mike Larson is sitting across from here. Right. Uh-huh. Drew Carey leaves The Price is Right, and okay. they ask any one of us to take the gig. <laughs> well, but what are you doing? Well, of course, what we're are you going to do? Of course, we're taking it. But, but we did. Are, are you going to, are you going to <laughs> reluctantly put that microphone in front of an old lady and go higher or lower? He, I, right. Does he still have the long No, you're going to embrace it. I'm going to listen to that yodeling guy on the fucking mountain. Every goddamn day, if I was no, making that cast, I, I, I knew this was going to come off the wrong way. <laughs> You're going to take it and run. Yeah. Wait, um, I don't know. I, How I many guess... people do you think are waiting in the wings? Everyone. For Alex everyone. Trebek everyone. To leave Jeopardy. Oh, okay. Every, you know, because yeah. he's going to call it quits. And you know, I know he's. I know he's ill. But I don't know. I guess in my head, I think of them as different. Genres, you know, yeah, I uh, uh, you know, game that shows. Drew and saw it as a step down. No, no, and I'm not saying it's a step down. No, I just I don't think he saw it you know. as a different lane. But but he was he was. I mean, it was you know, it's it's an iconic show. Sure, right. Uh, and I think that's what he. I think that's what he wrapped it around. Wrapped it around. And, and no, I that. couldn't imagine him not working. I think he would go crazy. crazy. I mean, uh, he's he's got loads of money, but he's just not the type of guy who's going to sit and sit on his cash. No, you know. All right. Well, I just I just but think no, about that sometimes. Yeah. You know, like he wouldn't hold. You know, he would no, want to hold out question. for a late night show. They, they, it's, they it's, everybody. It's, David Spade has his own fucking late night show now. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I don't know. I'm just by the way, I would love there. to sell out. I, care about, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even care what it is. Yeah, 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 really? Yeah. I keep waiting for my opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so, someone said, someone said about this podcast because we have a different bottle every week. That's one of the okay. one of the novelties of this uh-huh. podcast. We share a different bottle every week, and that's the only running theme. And someone said, "Well, what if you got a sponsor like a Brown Foreman uh-huh. a distiller?" And they said, "Like you know, well, you're going to have to stop." Doing other people's whiskey, yeah, we all go okay, yeah. <laughs> sure. okay. Right. We yes. made it to a hundred. Sure, we'll do right. your products. We'd of sell out, you would. and and you know, touche, touche. So, right, you know. It wouldn't even need to be a whiskey company. Yeah, yeah. It could be like a vodka business, <laughs> ginger ale business, <laughs> whiskey business. Brought to you by Shasta, Fanta. Right. What is that? One of the one of the more obscure yeah. one of the obscure uh, beverage companies that that yeah. needs a little help. Verners. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned, you know, uh, Drew, you know, following the iconic Bob Barker, like like following Carson, right. um, which triggers this little thought. You did your first Tonight Show 
1994 right. with uh, a guy who had had the baton passed to him and was not sitting in the chair very long himself, Jay Leno. Right. So he did the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Now, I, I actually watched your set again today yeah. on YouTube. It was very funny. Thank and, you. And also, I, I should say that you should take this as a compliment. You've aged uh, far better than Jay Leno has you know, <laughs> since, since 1994. Uh, so, so good for yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but a, it was a funny set. And uh, how how much how long did you prepare for that? And how you know did that whole funny. how did that first break come about? And in 1994 with Jay Leno, was it just as significant as it would have been for someone like Drew Carey, who actually was on with Johnny Carson? With Johnny, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so tell me so, about that. Well, you know, back then we, we all had our six minute set ready. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who was anything as a comedian had their Tonight Show set ready. You know, we're constantly working it and. Um, so for years, when Johnny was had the show, th- the guy, uh, Jim McCauley, who booked the talent, was legendary for putting comics through torture. You know, would have them do the set 40 times and would say, okay, I, I want you to trim this or trim that. So I didn't think I was ready. I knew I had a... I was, I had, I was a good comic. I knew that. And it was a good set. Right. Um, so I was at Igby's Comedy Club in L.A., and Jimmy Brogan, who at the time was booking the comics for Jay and was a comic himself, uh, I get off stage, and Jimmy said, hey, why haven't you sent Jay a tape? And I said, oh, I will when I'm ready. And he said, you're ready. And I said, oh, okay, where should I send the tape? And he said, you don't got to send the tape. I'm the guy. Uh, tomorrow night, come to the Laugh Factory and do your set. So I said, okay. So I'm still thinking, though, that this is going to be this long, drawn-out prog- pr- right. you know, process. So I go. Um, I go to the Laugh Factory. do my set. It goes great. I get off, and Jimmy says, uh, great. What are you doing next Tuesday? And I said, I'm free. And he said, well, good. You, we want to do the show. And I was like, oh, what show? <laughs> and he's like, the Tonight Show. Yeah, the Tonight Show. And I was like, what? You mean like to be on television? And he's like, of, what, what do you think we're doing here? So thank God I was that naive because I, I, I just don't, I didn't kill myself with pressure where if I, had I known that if I do this, oh, you know, this is going to lead to everything. So yeah, I did that first set. It went great. You know, William Shatner was I was there, so I was going to hit Shatner. Was and I made Shatner set. laugh before the show. He came over and introduced himself in my dressing room. And my mom and dad were in there with me, and that was awesome, you know. And uh, I said, oh, I said, I, I, I feel that every comedian I know is a Trekkie, except me. Uh, and I just think of all my friends who should be here instead right. of me. And he said, really, you don't like Star Trek? I said, no, I really don't. And he goes, Come here, and he gives me a hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have either had nothing in it. Oh, that's um, funny. But no, so then you ask about, like, was it as big as Johnny? So I had a great set. The next day, I get a call at the house from Jay. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know that was one of the best first sets I've seen. It in really years. was. There was there was a ton um, of applause breaks. Yeah, and he's like, you know, you should be feeling very proud. And I said, oh, thank you, Jay. And he said, uh, so uh, have you been getting a lot of calls like from agents and managers? And I was like, no, I haven't gotten any. <laughs> and he's like, really? And I felt so sorry for Jay because, you know, I, he that was on him, yeah. <laughs> you know, more than on me. Because he feels like, you know, you He's just said this Johnny. great set. You're not Johnny. And right. You just, I'm supposed to be a star maker. Well, and it turns out that was the same week as the Montreal Comedy Festival, so people were out of town and uh, whatever. Right. But, uh, 
But no, it was great. So, so the first time you do the show, Jay sets you up for success. He says, uh, he does his little warm up and he tells the audience, hey, uh, exciting night tonight. A guy had been on his first time. Um, and then he, so he says, be hanging out so I can point them out to you. So when I introduce you, they know you, uh, which is great, right? So I do that and that turned out great. So then, you know, immediately, like the day after, they call and say, Jay wants you back right away. Uh, do you have a set ready? And I said, yeah, yeah, I have a set. And they said, okay, so be ready. Um, have your clothes picked out because because you're local, we might call you last minute. So I had like a suit hanging on a hook in my bedroom. <laughs> my Tonight Show suit. For a year and a half <laughs> waiting for the call. Oh, oh, my God. And I was like, what? And finally it comes like on a... You know, like on a Wednesday, hey, can you be here at 6? <laughs> we had a fallout. Uh, and then I go, and there's no special treatment. You're just really? One of, you're just one of the guys, which I, I kind of get, you know? It's, hey, you're, you're in now, buddy, you know? But, you know, Jay didn't even say hi before the show. Nobody. He didn't bring he didn't, he didn't, no, didn't, didn't do the little. No, he didn't introduce me. Like he did in the first time around. No, didn't no. do any of that. But, but I, I, you know, part of that, I think, is respect. That, hey, man, you know, you you made it. You don't need to be have your hand held. Coddled. But it was a very different No, hold experience. my hand. I would right. like you to hold my hand right. again. Uh, just because but, it was. But, you know, everything that I have done since then, television, you know, my, my writing jobs, everything, I draw a straight line from the tonight show that that just gave me the respect you know once you do that it, as a comic mm -hmm. you're a comic right you know no one can can question whether or not you belong you did you got your card stamped if you do letterman or you know tonight right. show those those couple of things uh and do you think they still have the impact today that they had I even back know. in 94 i mean is it still you know that that rare air? I don't know. I know I did a set at Flappers in Burbank last time. It was in L.A. Uh, with my friend Tony Kameen. And uh, we were laughing that everybody had a had a credit. You know, uh -huh. Tony's done a bunch of Conans. You know, Laurie Kilmartin was on the show. You know, a bunch of stuff. So there are more credits to go around. Um, but, you know, like, for instance, I did The Tonight Show and did HBO but could not get booked on... Uh, what was the imp evening at the improv? Which every every bear covered that evening at the improv. Times. I could not uh, yeah. break that one. So it's interesting. Yeah. I did a comedy on the road. I did that with one, John yeah. Biner. Uh -huh. He was the host of that. And then um, my first national spot was uh, Comic Strip Live on Fox. Fox did a. Uh, a stand-up show was with, that Wayne, with Cotter? Wayne Cotter. Yeah. Who Sounds like Sinbad would be involved with that one. I, well, I think he was the host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wayne okay. Cotter was the host, right? <laughs> who mispronounced my name, uh, you know, and uh, um, and it's funny, that, you know, you talk about the, the twists and the turns right. about you know, how, how things go. Um, here's who was on that particular comedy dais, yeah. if you will. Louis C.K., yeah. Sarah Silverman, wow. Dave Attell <laughs> and Dean Etchprose. <laughs> One of these well, things is not, not like, like the other, other uh, in 2019. But you know what's great about that? It almost becomes like your graduating class. When I auditioned for Bud at the Improv, there were four comics. And it was Doug Benson, Judd Apatow, Adam Sandler, and I uh, auditioned for, Judd there, for Bud that night. And because of that, whenever I see... 
any of those guys, you know, even if you see Adam somewhere, it, it's it's like we graduated together. You know, we were there mm-hmm. that same night. And it's a similar thing. Like, yeah, but because, I, you know, that was I, still a big break for all four of you. Yeah, right. Because they were they yeah, were very right, early in their careers right. as well. Um, my career took a little bit of a different turn because uh-huh. I because you know a year and a half later, I come back to Columbus uh-huh. and, and take this radio job on a fluke and right. thinking it won't work out and I'll go back there. But they continued down the path. So who's to say if I didn't take the radio job and would have stuck to my guns? I don't know. Would I have would I have been doing more stand-up? Probably. Would I be have a TV show? Would you have written a TV show for me? I don't would know. Would you be hosting a daytime game show? Well, you know, <laughs> gladly. <Yeah>. Gladly. <laughs> gladly. Yeah. Uh, who's to say what what it, what it might have been? Would you be ostracized for masturbating in front of young comedians? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would forgive me. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Depending on when it happened. <laughs> it was right? the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> You worked on a lot of shows. You mentioned Drew Carey, uh-huh. and uh, I'm going to just uh, attach all these 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 two or three degrees of separation. Uh, you wrote for Ellen. Ellen, yes. Ellen, right. Ellen's TV Ellen's show. Ellen's TV show. When she came out, I wrote right. the very first gay dating episode in network television history. It was mm-hmm. after she came out when she finally went on a date. And, and I only know that because a friend of mine works for the human rights campaign in Washington, and they were doing a a timeline of like major events in gay history and came upon my name and said, did you realize that you are like an icon in the LGBT history? (laughs) Because you wrote the the first episode. Yeah, Yeah. that was, that was a hell of a moment. And my connection to that is uh, I auditioned and got to the, I think the producers, you know, I got, I got past the first audition to play the part that uh, of Ellen's friend, that played played by Ari Gross. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. So yeah. that was early. That was when the show first started. Yes, by the when time it first I started. Was on yeah. the show, Ari was gone. Ari was gone. Yeah. So I would have oh, been wow. gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> written out. <laughs> written out. The character would have right. been gone. Down the elevator oh, shaft. But uh, yeah, I, I auditioned for that part and got yeah. rather, you know, which also gave me hope and optimism. Like, oh man, you're reading for the producers. I mean, right. you know, that, oh, that's, that's, that's huge. That's, that's, that's right there. That is uh, so huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but it didn't happen. And again, well, if that would have happened... I know from my early days of getting to L.A. as an actor, you know, a comic actor, and, and auditioning and being so, so frightened, and then later in life as an executive producer being the producer that people come in, and it was like, God, I wish I could go back and tell 28-year-old Mike Larson that... that they want you to get the part. Right. You know, when you're the producer, every time that door opens, you're saying, please let this be the person. Let it, let it be you the know, guy. Please let, let it, it be the let, guy. Let it be a no-brainer right, for so me. So I can go back to mm-hmm. do my regular work. But, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you worked on yeah, Ellen, Drew Carey, uh, Grace Under Fire. Grace Under Fire was my first um, job. Rodney. Remember Rodney, Rodney, Rodney Carrington? Rodney Carrington had a show for, yeah. for a couple of years. Uh, Whoopi, who had a Whoopi, show. Whoopi, yeah. The, um, yeah. And uh, Bill Maher. Worked for Bill Maher, worked for Reba. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, Two Guys and a Girl with... Uh, two Guys and a Girl with, in a Pizza Place? Yeah, with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's where I met my wife, was on Two Guys. Oh, really? That's yeah. fun. Was she an actress? She was an actress. She was cast as one of Ryan's characters, many dates that he would have <laughs> yeah. on the show. And you were um, and you were a writer on a show or producer? I was a, well, I was, a, a I was probably co-exec producer at that point, I imagine, something like that, but... 
But that show had that show had some that was a funny show. Funny show and yeah, had, it had a lot a of really, charm. Really good actor, great cast. But uh, the two, two of the women who were the actors on the show were always trying to get me. I, the year before, I'd had like a bad breakup. I was engaged and it just went off the rails. Um, and so they were always trying to hook me up with actresses, and I was like, ah, I really don't want to date an actress. Uh, and uh, Tina was uh, on set, and she was reading The Grapes of Wrath. Like, you know, you know, there's so much dead time when you're on a show. And I love John Steinbeck. So I was like, oh, my God, is she reading The Grapes of Wrath? For real? Or was yeah! there something else in the book? I you know, know right? like, <laughs> The comic book. Yeah. So uh, Trailer Howard, who was one of the women, the stars of the show, like went over and got uh, Tina and brought her over to me. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, and then I got to I was doing a sh set that night at the comedy store, and I said, "Oh, you should come see my show." And she says, "I have a boyfriend." I was like, "That's all right. Bring your boyfriend. Fine." And so, uh, you know, I had a great set at the comedy store. And when I got off stage, uh, Elaine Boozler came over to me and she said, "That girl's boyfriend never unfolded his arms the whole time." Oh, you know? yeah. So yeah. And it was like two <laughs> days later, she calls to see. Oh, thanks for the show. Oh, and by the way, I we broke up. Broke up. up. <laughs> That almost sound, that almost sounds sitcomish right, on yeah. some level, you know the the, the, the character. Right, right. I'm gonna write the you'll play the you'll play Rumpf. the boyfriend who's unhappy that he's at the comedy yeah. club. I don't know why everyone's yeah. laughing yeah. at this guy. Yeah. 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 You'll play that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Your life's a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, she she was reading Grapes of Wrath, huh? You, you say Steinbeck. I'm a huge Steinbeck fan. See, uh, Mice and Men is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most perfect books ever. Yeah. Not a wasted word. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 But so she's she's still a reader and and you guys are still together. I think she can still read, yeah. You can yeah, still yeah, read. Does she still yeah. read the classics? Uh, yeah. I don't read as I mean, much that, as I was, used to was too. That part I used to of read the, a ton. But. Was that part of the thing that brought you guys together? That you know, you read Steinbeck? You, did you did you have a literary discussion? Was that part of the courtship? I don't know that we did. No. No. Uh -uh. I, I, you just made a mental note. Right. Well she was reading Steinbeck and she had Great tits. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that that I would have been there if, if only one of those things were there. But you know, the combination was. You're reading the grapes. Of, have you ever have you ever read of tits and I mean of mice and men? Right. Uh, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> of mice and memories. Uh, funny. So you, you have this long, nice, established career, and then. You decide to leave it all and come to Ohio. Do you have any roots in Ohio? No, she, my wife does. Your wife does. My wife grew up in Canton. Her brothers live here in okay. Columbus. And her brothers live in Columbus. And so my, my daughter, Marianne, um, has cousins in San Francisco where I grew up and in Ohio where Tina grew up. And she was always lamenting that she didn't get to see her cousins. Um, and I grew up with, surrounded by cousins. We were always playing with the cousins, you know. So when my career changed and most of my writing jobs became freelance, it gave us the freedom to, that we could move. I wasn't going to the studio every day. Mm -hmm. So, And part of it was just lowering our monthly nut. You know, it's not California. You it's have crazy. a great year. 
And at the end of the year, there's nothing left, <laughs> you know? Right. And that was a big part of it. It's like, I, I, I would like to be able to have, <sighs> have a little bit of money in the bank at what the end of the year. What a horrible place to live if you don't have money. And when I was living out there, I did not have any money. <laughs> yeah. And it was just it was just miserable. Well, and I'm a blue-collar kid. You know, I was the first one in my family to go to college. And, uh, you know, I would like to say <clears throat> that when I first made good money, I was so smart and I saved it all. But I didn't. I bought a sports car sure. and I got a big house and a, you know, had them put in a new. There was already a pool, but I wanted a different pool. I, I want a different. I want my pool. Right. I want my pool. You know, and it was. I don't know what pool. happened in this other pool prior to me. I don't want to know. But you know, when you get it, you think. I mean, I was fantasizing about. You know, buying the San Francisco Giants someday. You know, because if I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I made this much, and then the next year I made twice as much as the first year, which was a good year. And I'm well, thinking, wow, if that, that continues, isn't that kind of know. the allure of that business, yes. though? Especially, especially yes. behind the camera when you start writing on a show, and then all of a sudden you're you're a co-producer, and then uh, you're right. an executive. Now, and then all of a sudden, the next step up, you're the show runner, right. and and then all of a sudden, like because of my success here. I've actually created a show, uh-huh. and now it now you know. So yeah, you 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 never think you think you're just going to keep bump, 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 going up 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 right. up right. And the, there's a ceiling there because you do go up. You go from staff writer to story editor to co-producer to producer, and you go on up. But once you get to exec producer, there's nowhere else to go. So, you know, when I wasn't getting a job at staff time, I was telling my agents. I'll be a staff writer again. I don't need the credit. They're like, yeah, that's not how it works. No. Uh, so can't. that was really frustrating. It's like, I can't, but, but they can have me, and I'm really experienced, and they can pay me nothing, and, and I can still do it, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and they said, But no. they just don't work that way. Um, why? Never well, having been in that world, part of it why? Is, part of it is the, the, the agent system is so messed up um, and that the agent's don't want to lower your quote because they would rather hold out and have you, you know, the possibility of getting 10 times that. Yeah, you're you an know, executive producer. To, I'm I not want to pay my mortgage. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to pimp you out as a staff writer when you've been an executive producer. Right, right. That's what they're so saying. So that was that was kind of what have you just kind of you get to a point where everybody is at the top of the Level and now they they've kind of created this thing called a consulting producer, which is usually an exec, a former exec producer who will come and work for cheaper, and it's not a real title, and so it's kind of but. Oh, that's but even I, then, I want to do that. But it pays. I want to do that. But it right. pays, right? right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned financially. I wanted to come and let my money actually count for something, which in Ohio as compared to living in California, oh, world of difference. And you settle on a couple of sweet acres out towards Plain City, I Ohio. Two acres and a riding mower. I am so happy having a riding mower. You know, I'm a city kid. I, I, am, I just love it. You know, it's so funny. My wife, she's like, you know, it's... You know, it takes you a lot of time, you know, working on the yard. You know, we could hire someone to mow the lawn. It's like, what? Uh-uh. And why would we? We came here so that I can mow my lawn. That's it. That, was the, that was the real I mean, reason. The, I love having the, And because I have a riding mower, it means that I have learned how to fix riding mowers because they're constantly breaking down. Right. And you, 
you can't like pick them up and put them in the trunk of a car, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But I love all of that. I've Do you write when you ride ride the mower? I whenever I mow the lawn work in the yard, I think of I'm things. thinking a lot. I don't cuz I've never been someone to put on like headphones and listen to a podcast or music when I work out in the yard. I like being in my own head mm-hmm. out there. So yeah, a lot yeah. of times I'm working on, you know, sometimes you're writing and sometimes you're just Stewing about yeah. some, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. my wife is so stupid, she's that black, you know, whatever is going on in your head that day, you know. Uh, but yeah, I love having that. I love that time. Mm-hmm. How many kids you got? I have a, a 13 year old and I have a 33 year old and two grandchildren. From wow. Her. Yes. Um, yeah. you're, you're a grandpa. I am. Yes. And I met my older daughter when she was 10 years old. So there's that. <laughs> what do we Lost over that one. <laughs> Breaks. So I was in what? Iowa. I was in Iowa in 1984 working in the Iowa caucuses for um, Alan Cranston, who was a senator from California at the uh-huh. time, ran for president. And. I met a woman who was a bartender, good bartender. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. We, you know, barely knew each other, but you know, had sex. And a few months later, I got a call that said, uh, "I'm pregnant, but I don't know for sure that it is yours." Okay. So I uh, was like, "Oh, okay, that's okay. honest. Well, keep me, keep me informed." <laughs> you know? Let me know. And at the time, I was so such a naive kid. I mean. The worst thing for me was, oh no, my mom will know I've had sex. <laughs> that was the I'm worst thing. I'm a mom. Catholic boy. Like, what do I, you know? That's the worst that, thing. Uh, it was very immature. Not but anyway, <laughs> so I didn't hear anything, so I assumed it wasn't. And then about a year later, I got a uh, a letter that had a baby picture in it, and oh the baby gosh. picture was me. I mean, there was no doubt. It was like I don't need to do a blood test. That is my baby picture. You know. Um, but the mom was uh, from Iowa. She was just very uh, kind of a, I don't know, she's kind of afraid. I was from California and all that. And, and uh, so she kind of kept putting off when I was going to meet her. I kept saying, I meet the baby. My daughter meet, needs to know who that, I am. And her father wants to meet her, that I'm not. So, I so you, skip you did. You did want to. Yes. I kept saying, I've got to, I, I want to, you know, we. There, there was never a question of getting married. We barely knew each other, but, but I want to do what I can. And I was paying support. I was only, a, I was a stand-up comic, so, you know, you know, a third of my income was probably two hundred dollars. You know, it wasn't like there was any money. Did, was but, she, but, but she, I was paying. It. Yeah, you, that was. Was she asking for support, or did you just, just be the good? Yeah, we both. Yeah, I don't think that was ever even a question. Okay, said, you know, what do I got to do? Who do I need to talk to? But and she I wouldn't let you meet up. the kid. No, and a part of it, I think she was just fearful of who knows what. She was a farm girl from Iowa, and I was, you know, from the big city. I don't know what it, what it was. But finally, around when she was around seven or eight, Melissa, as my daughter, started communicating. We, I would write her letters, and she would send me pictures. We talked on the phone a couple times. So we, I I'd actually had met her, just hadn't been in the same room with her until uh, she was uh, fifth grade, I think, fourth, fourth wow. or fifth grade. Um, but it was great. I mean, like from the minute we met, uh, you know, she's a funny kid. She's, uh, has, you know, uh, and had said that, you know, she was always getting in trouble, like with her grandparents for 
being a wise ass, you know. So Scott the Larson <laughs> and, and comedic then, well, gene, yeah, yeah. Me, she, Oh, okay, yeah. now I get it. But no, she's she's uh, great. So they live out in Missouri, and and the relationship with her mother just stayed, you know what, friendly. Once, or? It, it was it was contentious for quite a while, but once a grandkid comes into the picture, yeah, all bets are out. No, any petty disagreements we might have so now just is away part of a so now when i go out there yeah yeah you know we'll all go an extended family of some sort yeah right you know we're bygones right right (laughs) you know so no it's uh wow yeah that's incredible how old were you then when she when you when you first found that out when that she had a i was 24 28 young something yeah yeah Yeah, i was young so (laughs) And yeah. from that moment on, you wore a condom. <laughs> it's so funny. When I told my brother years later that I had a, a daughter, he's like, how? You never got laid. No, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> that's how. That, that, yeah. I, you, my brother, who was a jock, knew how to prepare for those things. Yeah. and probably had a condom with him at all times. I didn't. What this the hell is, was I going to use a condom for? This is this might never come around again. Right, right. right. And, you know, certainly I'm not going to say, wait, let me go buy it. She might change her mind. This is something magical happening here. Yeah. So, wow. But, you know, it was, it was a really good life lesson for me later when I would tell people that by far the stupidest thing I ever did is the greatest thing I've ever did, done. You know, right. uh, my, my daughter is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, you know, before the second daughter. Sure. Uh, and yet that was kind of the worst thing I did was knock up a stranger, you know, but it just kind of shows that, it, but the, you know. The fruit of that mistake. Right. Literally. Right. Ends so, up being something incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and your daughter... Is in Missouri now, you say? Yeah, she... Uh, what does she do now? They, she's a nurse practitioner and wow. has a... She's in private practice and is making a killing and doing what she does. And Yeah, she's doing great. And has given you two beautiful grandchildren. Yes, and a third one on the way. It'll be a third one next oh, wow. month. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. Wow. Cheers. In wow. fact, I'm going out to work the Kansas City Funny Bone the week after she is scheduled to deliver so I can see the new baby. That'll be great. You can write it off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's amazing. So life has you've adjusted how many years now in Ohio? Uh, it'll be two, I guess, in September. So. Have we acclimated? Have we adjusted to uh, Ohio living as opposed to L.A. living? Yeah. I mean, I like uh, I like Ohio a lot. I mean, you know, the, the winter sucks. <laughs> the winter sucks, yes. I mean, the snow part is great. It's just when it's not snowing and it's just you've got to put on extra layers to get the mail. You know, it's kind of... And I'm an outdoor guy. I like being outside, so it kind of kills me when I'm, you know, trapped inside. Um, but I like it. I mean, I, I, I don't have a real developed circle of friends yet, I mean, little by little, but I had like a... a basketball game in LA on Sunday mornings that uh, was for, for like 30 years every Sunday um, mostly uh, writers and comics and actors and uh, I really miss that you know that was awesome to have my, same, have my game was that because was that, was, Gary Shandling had a game like no, that too I right? Not, I was not in Shandling's game mm-hmm. no I didn't but play he, in that but he once. had a game like that though yes, right? yes yeah. you guys yeah, should have played each other yeah, and no, we started out in a friend's driveway, and then we moved to my backyard, and then uh, 
thankfully eventually moved to a gym because our <laughs> knees were just getting shattered playing on concrete. A bunch of old guys, you yeah. Know? Um, but no, it was great. Uh, but you mentioned to me before we started the podcast, you had a bocce court at your house. I had a bocce court. Every house be Friday, I've been in, I've yeah, always had. And then, yeah, Friday and, uh, nights. Friday night bocce's, everybody. Any caught, comics yeah. who were in town would come over and we'd play bocce and we'd drink and, oh, it was fun. I love it. I love playing bocce. Well, if you're looking for a new circle of friends, right? The Italian club. Your, your mother's Italian, you know, yes. you're half Italian. We yeah. should get you involved with the Columbus Italian no, that club. sounds awesome. You'll Absolutely. have more friends than you need. <laughs> yeah, they are a good bunch oh, of guys. Oh, I'm sure. We, so you yeah, can reestablish be awesome. a good circle of friends. And or you can just start hanging out with me on a more regular basis. Yeah. You know what? Why not? We both like bourbon. <laughs> you can right. sit on that front porch and smoke cigars and, That's right. uh, and, talk about, and talk about where our lives are now. Where is your life now? You're still writing. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. You're still doing it because you can write anywhere. Right. That's the point. And, and I do write anywhere. And, and I think if I had never been a writer, I think I would still be writing every day. I, that's kind of the thing I do. So, yeah, I have two projects now, a pilot that I'm writing um, that's produced by the guy who used to own UFO magazine that's in the world of UFOs, which is kind of cool. The thing I like about it is that I know – I am so agnostic on the whole UFO thing. It's like, yeah, sure, they probably exist. I, you know, what, what, what do I know? But I love when someone brings me an idea for something that I have no prior interest in because I get to look at it fresh. Like, what's funny about this? I don't have any axe to grind, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been fun. That's been cool. Um, and then uh, another project with another producer on a... a, a show about uh that was originally a feature that i wrote with a friend that we are now rewriting hoping to sell to a streaming service but um uh, yeah i'm always writing well, that and then i have my my other stuff i just i you know i'm a kind of a hired gun as a writer now i just i've ghostwritten books for people and articles i do my political stuff in these current political times um, I don't know what your political leanings are. I don't care uh -huh. whether it be they be they right or left. Uh -huh. But I think I wanted to just generically just uh, get your thought process on. I mean, the Trump years have been a goldmine for late night television on, on on some level. But go past the humor, if you will, yeah. for a second, and just it seems to me like even though you've you've written humorous things politically speaking. I can just tell by your body language that 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 the that, that politics, and and what it go, seems to be going on in our country in any given year and any given cycle, yeah. it means something to you. Yeah, and you know, in many ways, Trump has not been good for political comedy because part of the point of political comedy, and I've always done political comedy in my stand-up. Part of the point of it is that you take something really dry and boring and you put a spin on it that no one's thought of yet. Right. And with Trump, it is the opposite. You take the buffoonery, the you know stupid thing that dumb guy did, and you kind of just say it. You don't you have know, to. There's not a lot of spin. Yeah, there's no not. one wants to really. No one cares what new thing I can say about Donald Trump. He is already the joke. So that's kind of hard. So you um, find you find this is what I I, I find. I, you almost see like the comic having to one up it. <laughs> you know, right. take 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 whatever crazy. Buffoon-like right. thing yes. he may have done or said, and 
exaggerated even more. There's yeah. nothing you can say that he right. might not say himself. But also, there's no shelf life to it. You know, he th- tweets something in the morning. I write a joke and I go do it that night at the Funny Bone, and people are like, "You're still on that?" Mm-hmm. You know, he's done twelve other crazy things since then. <laughs> so, you know, I talk about Trump a little bit. I talk more about myself and been. I kind of I describe my political leanings as a liberal slash hypocrite because I, I don't live by any of the things I believe in. You know, I hate animal cruelty and I love meat. <laughs> you know, right, right. I am a feminist, but I formed that opinion because I knew it would help me get laid. <laughs> you know, I get it. And, and I get so it. I try, and also with, with Republicans in the audience, you know, in Ohio you, you deal with a lot sure. of conservative people. I try to get them to get on that page with me. Let's, let's just cop to our bullshit. Okay? Can we just all agree that... We don't all live a perfect life, you know. That we're 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 not virtuous people. Good, good luck, right? Good and, luck with and, that. And I don't know if you can. I mean, you, you know, know, that's 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 an admirable goal, especially with like farmers in Ohio. You know, I had a, a guy, a neighbor who's a farmer, and you know, he we were talking politics, and he said. Uh, uh, he said, "Are you a socialist?" And I said, "Not like you are. I've never gotten paid money not to grow corn. I would love to not grow corn. I've not grown corn my entire life. I've never gotten money from the government. All every one to of not these grow, farmers to are not grow on the government dole. You know, there's tariffs, so we got to give them a, all this money, and then they and then." What is socialism? Like social security? Is that what you're talking about? Medicare? The the public schools? I don't, you know. So, and and again, I don't blame them for having, if you have your political view, that's fine. But, you know, in my act, I just try to say, let's let's at least cop to it. You you know, that we're all, and and I think, we, we don't not get along because we have different opinions. We don't get along because we're just so damn pompous about it you, you, you know that you've got to say oh if you support trump you're a racist and if you support that don't like trump you're a socialist right you know and but it, it does come down to labels i know and we're very and, quick and, to label these days and it's hard to to get around that at that point right. whereas you know i have very very good friends who are very conservative and people say you know you know how are you and nick friends and it's like well we tend not to talk about the stuff that pisses us off right but I'm if we do way. we do it with respect but mostly we talk about basketball or golf or bourbon or something else that we have in common, you know. We have to, I have to agree with certain yeah. friends not to bring up politics. Right. Or, you know, and otherwise no. it's, it's, it's going to be a contentious conversation. I, I might bring it up in a in kind of a curious way, like, hey, I'm curious, what do you think about the tariff thing? Is that something you support as a conservative? You know, we can discuss it intellectually without getting into the guy, you know. But I had... Politicians that I supported that I didn't respect. I was never a big fan of Bill Clinton as a human being, but I I voted for him. Um, he wasn't, you know, Donald Trump. So I understand that someone can say, "Hey, mm-hmm. I don't like Trump either, but I like that he has appointed conservative judges." If that's what, how you believe, I I get that, you know. Would you ever think of running for office yourself? So I did when I was 19. I ran for my city council back in San Bruno, huh. uh, San okay. Francisco. Okay, well, there you go. And? Um, I lost, obviously, mm-hmm. which is why I said I ran and not I <laughs> <It> served. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, 
there is a chance. There are some people talking to me about running in next year for a state representative position in where I live in Plain City. Mm-hmm. It's a complete, such a Republican district. You know, Democrats have never gotten 40%, I don't think. Right. Um, which is kind of the appeal to me. Sure. It's like no one's going to blame me, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so we'll see. I'm you're not ruling that out. It. I could I could see the little twinkle in your eye. No, uh, well, you're not I mean, you're not ruling that out any more than I you're like talking. It's, uh, that part of it is awesome. You get to and go it goes talk to people. Back to what we said about politicians. You know, we like politicians that have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think a funny, sincerely funny, in the body and soul right. funny yeah. politician could translate very well in in in, in this. In this world, especially right now, especially with social media, and, yeah, right. And and I and I'm just kind of curious. Like I said, I've been doing this in my act. That when I talk to people, the, the thing I love the most after a show is when someone comes up to me and says, "I'm a Republican. I disagree with everything you say, but God, you're funny." Yeah, yeah. that's it. Boom. That's okay. the sweet spot for me. That's good. So, you know, there is a part of me that that kind of wants to test the theory of can we just be honest with people even people you do. for for instance in Ohio you know especially where I live out in Union County very rural uh, very Catholic you know very Republican um, they're all very pro-life um, but everyone I have talked to who is pro-life if you say do you vote for yeah, against abortion yes. But if I ask them, if your daughter was raped, do you believe she should be forced to carry the baby, the rapist baby, to term? And they all say no. Well, that's what you're voting for when you vote these anti-abortion politicians. They are forcing rape victims to carry their rapist baby to term. And in Ohio, once they have that baby, the rapist has equal rights to the child as the the woman does. Um, So... So what aren't they getting? So how many times? How many times are you going to punish this person? So, and again, I just like to bring up the thing that if you're going to vote for an idea, that's great, but think it through. And how is it logically applied? You know, um, and like I say I talk about those things on stage, and it's always but abortion is a crowd killer. Abortion chunk. Uh, I'm gonna, next week, I'm going to open with it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Thanks, Mike. Celebrate 100 bottles of dead babies. Oh, man. Well, you know, uh, we have another mutual uh, comedic friend. I, at least, I, you know Drew Hastings? I do know Drew. Yeah, and Drew's, a, Drew's the mayor, mayor out in, in the Hills, right? Hillsboro. Is it? Yeah, I think that's what it is. And he's a funny guy, very funny and guy, very, and very different politically than I am. Very, very conservative very, guy. Very conservative guy, yeah. and he had he actually had a little bit of. Uh, uh, well, there, there was a little scandal. A little scandal. I mean, he came out of it. Just, it was, but he yeah. came out of it just fine, right? You know, because his people, his 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 citizens, they they love him. Great. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever hear this, but congratulations to Drew Hastings, who I believe at 64 years of age became a father for the first time. No way, really? Yeah. Yeah, had his first first baby boy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's a daddy, so. There's plenty of time for you? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Okay, okay. No, no. no. Well, there have been a number of... uh, Mm -mm. 
comedians who have gone into, you know, Jimmy Tingle, right, for lieutenant governor in Massachusetts. I don't remember if he won or not. Um, but there's always been a Al Franken, you know, of course, yeah, yeah Al Franken, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's, it's, it wouldn't be that crazy. But my my question to you is like, you know, you, you you're thinking about it, and like toying with the idea. But let's flash forward a second. Say you do it and you win. All I can think about is Robert <laughs> oh, Redford in the movie The Candidate. Oh, you're like, man. what do we do now? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Well, and it would because it really is a lopsided district. It would be remarkable if that happened. Um, but um, I, I mean, I love politics. I would be more than happy to mm-hmm. be in the legislature, especially when you get the when it's just a commute from your house. You don't have to move some. You know, it's just down the street in Columbus. Um, but yeah, I you know the, the woman who holds the seat is very nice. I've met her a few times. She's very nice. She's very very conservative. Um, but you know, I just know. In fact, when I first started, when someone asked me about it, uh, has, one she, of the, has she run unopposed? In, in any in no, any, any she election ran, year, no, she just got elected last year. But I think she'd been on the city council for years. Okay. And she ran the right. the guy who ran against her is a really nice guy, but he was and he will say I was the warm body. They, the party said we need to have a name. On the ballot, you know, so he, um, but, uh, like I say, I, I, I like the idea of engaging people and making them make a, a conscious decision and not just vote for the R or the D, which very often they do. And so the whole idea, if I were to run would be to, yeah, there, it would be much more about personality than it would be about. You know, retail politics, about you think knocking get, on doors. You think you'd get anything done? I mean, in the legislature itself? Yeah. Well, that's a, a whole other I know, I know. But, it's but, a whole other podcast. But, you know, when I worked for... So Jackie Spear, who's the congresswoman I worked for, who's one actually one of my best friends. She's my daughter's godmother. But uh, she was someone, whenever she's been in office, who believes in that everything needs a visual component, everything needs to have a little bit of a spectacle to it. So even when... She was in Congress, and it was a Republican Congress, and there was a Republican president. She still got was able to get things done. And she found, she said, I'm not going to get assault weapons banned, but, but, but. but I can get earmarks, you know, reduce. I mean, she, she finds where is, at some point, there is something I believe in that they also believe in. Um, and I really admired that about her. And so I, I think, you know, being practical some sometime you know you can sure. uh, yeah uh but yeah i i i win battles lose wars <coughs> well yeah i mean would but, they come, but, what, but, what but it come what it might be you know but it's you know as, as john far kennedy as... said the government is a steamroller um you know it's not a race car it's a steamroller and it moves slow and it moves, and you can't stop it. And you can may- maybe turn it a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, but it's moving. <laughs> it's still moving. And so I kind of like that I- that image of, you know, you do what you can. Um, you try to, and in this day and age with social media, you can get your voice out there. It, it, you know, the legislature, they passed this big bailout of these uh, the nuclear power plants, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it passed by one vote, which means that, if I were to run, the woman I'm running against did that. She was the one vote, right? Every every one of them owns that because it only won by one vote. But you know, they get this huge bailout on the and the ratepayers have to pay it, right? To to bail out failing, you know, nuclear power plants on a coal powered plant, and they got the money by taking it away from 
renewable energy, you know, from like solar and wind. And it was, you know, there's nobody, no voter in Ohio that says, gee, I sure hope they go and bail out a power company for me. You know, and so those are kind of things that I would be excited to talk about. Well, I am going to extend a future invite to you to return to whiskey business when you announce your candidacy for the position, and then we'll come back and talk more about that. Oh, if I run for office, I can't do these kinds of shows. (laughs) (laughs) We got to start wrapping things up. Uh, Mike Larson, you have been so worth the Uh, 100th bottle of whiskey business, the old Rip Van Winkle, man. This has been great. This has been awesome. I hope you enjoyed yourself tonight. We had a great time. We left a lot of stuff on the table, but that's okay. We can come back and visit another time in a a future podcast, whether you run for office or not. (laughs) I like Uh, that. And speaking of your your social medias, uh, I I clipped Mr. Hansberry earlier. We didn't get to mention all the fun stuff that we need to mention. Real quick, uh, Mike, where can we find you and, and... All right, well, my website is writemikelarson.com, so W-R-I-T-E, Mike Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N. Um, and then yeah. I am pretty much Write Mike Larson and everything. So Twitter is at Write Mike Larson. I'm that on, on all my social media as well. There you go. Well, yep. we are at uh, Whiskey Business. Uh, find us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter. WhiskeyBusinessShow.com. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes. Um, also on YouTube, this is all being videotaped. Did okay. you know that? Oh, we didn't no. have you sign yes. the disclosure. Uh, yes. Subscribe uh, right there on YouTube. It's uh, uh, Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. And when you subscribe, uh, you know, it just populates and you get a reminder okay. on your phone. Okay. It's nice, you know. Does does the work for you? Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That helps out and uh, spread the word. Um, we're going to make sure that we have all links to uh, the premise, which is coming up. Premise and um, actually, uh, when this drops, it'll actually be the night before. Yeah, yeah. So if you're watching, there'll this, be time tickets. to get a ticket. Uh, drop, you know, so forth. And then uh, one thing we can promote uh, still after is the Columbus Podcast Awards. Um, are we going to win something? On the 25th. I don't know if we're going to win something. We're going to win something, right? We're up in two categories. We're up in the comedy category, and we're up for uh, podcast of the year like everybody else. And I think they're going to have the bar and concession stand open regardless. Oh, so they'll be popcorn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, great. So, yeah, that's August 25th at Gateway from 6 to 8. ColumbusPodcastAwards.com. Get free tickets and join us for that. Premise tomorrow night. And the premise is tomorrow night tickets on sale at uh, upfrontstage.com at the upfront stage yeah uh the, the jeff gage and jack shepherd the competitors uh jerry elliott special guest panelist and nikki winkleman uh special guest comedian all of it put together by the incomparable greg hansberry on the audio side da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. and uh if you're enjoying the youtube version of anything it's john whitney ladies and gentlemen on, on a weekly regular <laughs> basis and uh, me, well, I just do what I do, get the opportunity to talk to very delightful, uh, enlightening, entertaining people like Michael Larson, man. Thank you so much, brother. I'm happy to be here. This is great. And I, I had never had Rip Van Winkle. Well, you know, it, it, uh, maybe we'll uh, yeah. take a step up, rinse these out, and try some 12 before we leave. Oh, it is the 100 bottle, everybody. Yeah. So, um... Check this out and everything else. If you're if you're just a, now becoming a fan of whiskey business, we have a whole bunch of we have 99 other bottles of jabber 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 jabber. <laughs> that That's what it's that you can called, go back and, and check out. So, and until the next bottle, thank you so much, people. See ya.
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.